0: For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name's James. I'm the lead pastor here. I went to Liberty University. It's the first time in our school history that we've been ranked in the top twenty-five, and uh, which is really good news. So, and we won today. We beat Virginia Tech. So, all of you in Virginia, you know all my friends. Okay, I have family, Virginia Tech fans. Hey, you're all right. Liberty's eating. Hokey turkey tonight, all right? So we, we won. Um, I didn't bring my phone up. I was tempted. I'm also a huge Notre Dame fan. They're playing Clemson right now, okay? Right now that's happening, And but I uh, I decided to preach anyway. I almost gave this week away uh, just so that I could watch. No, kidding. Kind of. I almost gave it away. So, Brandon, I'm counting on you in the back. Give me like a thumbs up or whatever when the quarter ends, if they scored or not. I don't know. Help me out so I'll know, okay? And somebody say an amen or whatever if, if they score a touchdown, all right? Anyway. Uh that's the, that's the most jokes I've told in three years, I think, uh, of preaching. That's not my character, but uh, it's been one of those weeks. I need to laugh a little bit, and uh, I think we all need that a little bit. It's been quite a week. So anyway, for a little over a month now, um, we've been working through the book of 1 Peter uh, verse by verse, and we're going to be continuing that today. Uh, if you look at this book of 1 Peter in the New Testament, um, it's actually it's relatively short. Um, if you have a physical copy of God's word, um, you would see that's, it's quick. It's roughly, uh, four to five, four to five pages in your Bibles. Uh, but even though that's true, I think what we've seen already through like six weeks of this is that this book of first Peter, it is, it is so packed with, with gospel richness and transformative truth. And just a little background of this, of this book, I remind us of this, uh, Every week, but Peter was a a beloved friend and follower of of Jesus. And he's writing this letter from Rome to churches in Asia Minor, which is modern day uh, Turkey, around 60 AD, okay? 60 AD. And the purpose of his writing uh, is, is really simple. Peter is writing to encourage Christians, to encourage Christians then. To encourage Christians now, to encourage us then, to stand firm as exiles and sojourners in a culture, in a world that is not our true home. And just a bit of context for for today's uh, passage, today's message. Last week, uh, we looked deeply into the glories of Jesus and the truth that he is the living cornerstone of our lives and of the church. And so, and so his reality, what we said, ultimately, his reality, his existence determines our reality, determines our existence. But not only that, we saw that God has called us, followers of Jesus, to be living stones, built upon Jesus, the cornerstone. So that brings us to today, uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. That's where we're going to be today in this, in this letter. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 through 12. And in, and in these verses, what we're going to see is, is Peter pick up on this theme of being a living stone. And what he's going to do for us is sort of uh, pull back the veil, sort of open the curtain to reveal the glory and, and beauty of what it means to be living stones. He's going to reveal what it means to be followers of Jesus who are built on Jesus. So let's read our passage together today. And then we're going to discuss four images of what it means to belong to God's people as living stones. Okay, again, it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. This is what Peter writes. He says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. So here we are in this this letter, and again, once again, we, we see Peter refer to these men and women who follow Jesus as sojourners and exiles. He is saying culturally and religiously, these people are outcasts, and they were treated as such, right? Christians were totally marginalized in society. And so imagine yourself being in that place. There's all this untruth being spoken against you. So much injustice being done to you, maybe your family, to your friends. Christians at this time, we can read the first century accounts. They were being fired uh, from their jobs for their faith. They were being forced out of their homes. They were being beaten ostracized from their family, many of them we know certainly were killed. And so how easy would it, ha- would it have been for uncertainty, doubt, to creep into their hearts? Right? I'm sure they even often question their identity and their purpose. They probably ask themselves, right, in the midst of all the confusion and chaos, probably ask themselves, who am I? Uh, what, am I what am I doing here? And is this all worth it? This whole following Jesus thing. I've lost everything. Everyone's against me. Is it worth it? And so in light of that, Peter gives them some, some seriously strong encouragement here. To those who are struggling with life, facing all kinds of hardships, he writes to them to help bring focus and worth to the mission that they have as God's exiled people. That's what we're going to see here. And we see Peter, how does he do that? It's really, really interesting. This is a really awesome text. What we see Peter do here is actually lean heavily on Old Testament language and how God referred to his people back then, let's call it, the Israelites. So, so Peter's going to take this, this Old Testament Israelite relational language and then he's going to redeem it and then apply that language that was once between God and Israel. He's going to apply that language to the followers of Jesus, which means, which means that what Peter is saying here in our text today, the passage that we just read together, This passage has everything to do with you and I. It's very relevant for us today. So let's jump into this text. What Peter says here in verse 9 through 12 uh, really relates back to verse 5, which we looked at last week. There, Peter wrote, sort of to sum up last week, verse 5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as what? As a spiritual house. So here, uh, Peter is trying to get us to, to remember that we are God's people being built on Christ, the cornerstone, and we are being built together as the church. He's reminding us here in verse five that it's the identity of, of Jesus. It's who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That actually determines who we are and how we ought to live our lives. And again, verses 9 through 12 really expand on this truth of being living stones. And so let's look at verse 9. Peter says this He says, But you, and we're going to stop right there. (laughs) Okay? We're going to, we're going to, this is going to be, yeah. It's going to move faster, I promise. But we're going to stop there but you, he says. Peter just told us, remember last week, okay? Try to remember if you were here. Peter just told us in verses 7 through 8, previous to this, that there are some people who stumble over Jesus. In other words, there are people in this world who reject Jesus, And now he gets to verse 9, he says, but you, in other words, all of you who have accepted Jesus as your cornerstone, that's the context, all of you who have placed your life, built your life upon the cornerstone, as a living stone, here is what is true of you, and he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Those four images give us the structure, really? It's a natural outline. I like it. I'm, I like the organization. It provides a natural structure and outline of where we're going today. So what we're going to do, I want to look at each of these, each of these images, because they're all extremely significant. Each of them is, is worth our attention, and each of them is full of, of encouragement. It's like Peter is saying here, saying, there's this, this glorious, just just go there here with me. There is this glorious thing that God is building. He's been building. He's still building. There's this glorious thing that God is creating, God is building, he's putting together. And Peter says, I'm just going to take the time to show you, to give you a glimmer, a glimpse of what he is forming. And so let's go through these together. What does it mean? Here's our big question today. What does it mean to be living stones built on Jesus? What does it mean to be living stones built on Jesus? And the first thing that we saw is, number one, you are a chosen race. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus today, Peter says to you, God says of you, he says to you, you are a chosen race. To a sojourning people, okay, keep this in mind sojourning people, exiles, people who are pushed to the side, outcasts, ostracized, perhaps doubting and discouraged, he says, You are a chosen people, you're a chosen race. Now, Peter has already called followers of Jesus, he's called them, this group, He's called them elect exiles in chapter 1, verse 1. And now speaking on behalf of God, full of the Holy Spirit, he says, you are chosen. Like God chose the Israelites in ancient days, now, he says, that applies to you. He's chosen you. You are his adopted sons and daughters. How? By faith in Christ. Peter says, we are this new Race, actually. This new people group who are chosen by God, built on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is the chosen one, right? Capital O, the chosen one. Remember in chapter 2, verse 6, we read it last week where it said, Behold, I'm laying a, uh, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone. How does he describe him? Chosen. Chosen and precious. That's who Jesus is. He's the chosen one. He is the chosen stone. He's the cornerstone. And now Peter says, you too, you too. Likewise, you are living stones that have been chosen by God as well. To fulfill a holy purpose, which we're going to see here shortly. So let's understand today, we're not built on genetics or or DNA, right? That's not what ultimately makes up this new people group. Rather, we are a people with a spiritual origin. We are called into existence by the sovereign grace of God, called into one family that is unique and distinct from any other family and any other people group in the history of the world. Don't take that for granted. We are a chosen race produced, produced from a source, a life source, namely God. That's what Peter is saying here. And as I said in the beginning, Peter is using Old Testament language here to encourage us. It's full of Old Testament language. And we know in calling us a chosen race, he's going back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 and following. Let's read this passage together. He says there, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has, look, chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth the lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you are more precious in number than any of other peoples for you are the fewest of all peoples but because the lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your fathers the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is God. So I think that there's, there's no doubt here. There's no doubt here that this text, this text, specifically this text, is what Peter has in mind when he's, he's penning this letter to those who are outcasts and ostracized. He's directly quoting these words. He'd have this in mind. He's seeing the church now. These redeemed people of God. And let's not, not forget either. Peter was Jewish, okay? He was part of that Israelite chosen race. And now he looks out at what God is doing, what God is building. And he says, this church that God is forming, these living stones, they are chosen just as Israel of old had been chosen by God for his purposes and plans. And so let's be, let's be clear here. Let's be clear. There was a chosen race. Okay? There was a chosen race, the Israelites. But now, but now, Peter is saying there is a new chosen race, a people who have been born again from God. And let me say this as well. Let me say this as well. This is certainly not something to boast about. This truth, this reality. There should be no arrogance that comes with this truth. Because look again at the context of Deuteronomy 7. It says there... The Lord did not set his love on the Israelites because of their power, their stature, or their great numbers. In fact, they were the fewest of all actually. So why did he choose them? It says it here. It says there because he loved them and because he is faithful to keep his promises. In other words, in other words, being a chosen race is completely of God's doing. That's what it says. It's nothing we did, not a result of our works. It's nothing we earned, which means our attitude, our posture as God's people, as living stones should be one of humble gratitude and thankfulness. That should be our posture before people and before the Lord. And then finally, I'll say this about being a chosen race. This is not saying that we are not Distinct, Not at all. Each of us individually, we are uniquely, wonderfully made in the image of God. We have all different nations, tribes, tongues. And we bring those distinctions into this new family that God is building and forming. So we learn from one another. We celebrate that diversity. That's one of the things that I I love about pastoring uh, and being part of an international church uh, in, in Korea. I, okay, we, we get to experience. We get to taste a little bit, a little bit of God's kingdom here and what he is ultimately putting together. And we need this, right? We need this. We need to be reminded that God is so much bigger, right, than our circles. He's so much bigger than our context and like the church that we grew up in, that we were convinced this is Christianity in this church building. This is it. And our, all Christianity looks like this. It's shaped like this. It's like one of the, one of the it's, a, it's a lesson that took me a long time to learn when I first moved to Korea. My first year and a half, two years, was with only Koreans, Korean churches. And I was there, and I'm like, I have this American brand of Christianity that is right and theologically sound and good. And everyone needs it. The world needs it. And going to a Korean gathering and sitting there and experiencing that way that they... You know, publicly read the scriptures, or some of you experienced um, their posture in prayer, how they pray. Um, It's intense. Uh, It's very intense. Um, It's passionate. Okay, and I think at first, um, and some most of you know my story. I grew up in a in a charismatic church, Um, and so you know some things that were like you know, like you know, I don't know how to say it, rowdy. I don't know. (laughs) Doesn't intimidate me, but I remember sitting in there, sitting there at first, and we're in this small basement room, like thirty people packed, and people are just crying out to the Lord. And my initial reaction was like, "Well, that's not how people pray, right? How did who taught them this? What 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 missionaries came over here and taught them this?" I need to correct them and show them. So let's open the Bible, and where does it say that you cry out to the Lord? Where does it say that? And then they proceeded because there's some really good seminaries here too, you know. Um, in fact, even just to get into seminary in Korea, you have to basically memorize the theme of every chapter of the Bible. That's the entrance exam, okay? It's pretty tough. And so we went through, and like, okay, well, it's in Psalms, and it's in Hebrews. It says that Jesus cried out to God with loud shouts in Christ. So that's what it says. What do you think it says? Oh, whoops. Well, okay. <laughs> I got to rethink this. What does that mean? Ah, I know. You know, that's, a, that's not what happened. Okay. Not there. All right. But, it, but it really, it, it taught me something. Wow. Okay. Just coming to one new culture for the first time. Like, okay. Like these people are sincere. They're passionate. They're devoted. And I can learn something about the desperation and how they pray. Complete dependence on the Lord. Kriya has taught me a lot about a life of, of prayer in particular. So we need each other for that. We need to be reminded again that God is bigger than our circles. So let's be humble. Right? Let's be grateful. Let's value one another. Let's learn from one another. Let's love one another. And then ultimately, let's hold and see one another as precious chosen ones. That's who we are. All of your brothers and sisters in Christ here, watching online, all of us, any other local church, that's how we see each other. Wow, that is a precious chosen one from the Lord. That person, that guy, that girl, they are part of what God is doing and building um, with me, along with me. That's how we need to see each other. We're chosen ones, a chosen race. Let's move on. Uh, Peter writes to these exiled people. And number two, we see he says, You are a royal priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. Now, it's one thing to be a, a priesthood. Now, we talked about that a bit last week when we studied verse five. It's, that's one thing. But it's another thing altogether to be a royal priesthood a royal priesthood. This is really unique language. Um, it's really amazing, actually. It's incredible. And I believe that, that Peter, the apostle Peter, he draws this language from Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. It says there, it says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. He says, you shall be a kingdom of priests. That right there, sum it up, that's royal priests. Royal priests. And that was for Israel. Right? He says, give this message to Israel. Speak this over the Israelites. This is what's true of them. They are a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. But the sad reality is is the fact that we know that Israelite the Israelites they forfeited this privilege. God promised them a kingdom. God promised them that they would reign and rule. But they never saw it. They never experienced it. Why? Why? Because they denied Jesus. Cuz they crucified him. And so now, Peter says here, inspired by God, he says, now to the church, to followers of Jesus, he says, you, you, it was them, but now you, you are my new royal priesthood. And you're not just priests, you're royal priests. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, well, first of all, it means that we belong to the king and we are in service to the king. We belong to the king and we are in service to the king. We serve the king. That's our position before the king, right? We serve the king as his royal priesthood. But it's actually much more than that as well. To be a royal priesthood means that we also exercise dominion And rule, which means this is so good. It means we do not just serve the king, but we also reign with the king. We are the priests of the king. But as priests, we also rule with the king. It's amazing. And think about this as well. Think about this as well. I think this provides more context uh, for us in this passage because remember, we read in verse five that God is building what? What is he building? It says a spiritual house. He's building a spiritual house. But now what we know is that what God is building is actually a royal house. He's building a royal house. God is building a royal house of priests to have dominion, to rule and reign with him in his kingdom. Right? That's what we see in Revelation 5:10 as well. It says there, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. We are reigning priests as a living stone built on Jesus the cornerstone today. You need to know this about yourself. You are a reigning priest for God with God. And again, That is so unique, special, because there is only one person who can establish and build such a house, only one, only the true priest and the true king. And of course, who is that? We know it's Jesus Christ. He is both king of kings, Lord of lords, and the great high priest, He is a royal priest. He is a priestly king. Listen, listen. And because that's who he is, and because you and I are one with Christ, we have entered into union with him. As living stones connected to him, built upon the cornerstone, set upon Jesus, what happens is we inherit the nature of his priesthood. This is who we are now, right now, and this is who we will be forever. That's your future destiny. It's your title. It's your placard on your desk. You're a royal priest. We're going to spend eternity Eternity. Giving offerings to the Lord God. Eternity. It'll never grow old, never get tired. Just continue to praise him, give offerings to his name, bless him, glorify him, and at the same time, forever, forever, for all eternity, we're gonna reign and rule with him. I don't even know what that exactly looks like. There's a really big universe out there. Right? There's a massive expanse. I don't know if he's just going to look at us and be like, okay, you take this million miles, you take this million miles and reign and rule over the angels and all of creation. Like, I, I, I don't know, but that's what's the truth. How he divvies that out or what that looks like, we'll see, can't wait. But this is who we are and what we are part of. This is what God is building. There is no, listen, there is no person, nothing, no one between us us. And the Lord, we have full access. We are priests and there is no one over us. No one over us, but the Lord, we are Kings with him, rulers reigner, reigning, with him. What a privilege, what a privilege to be a part of God's family as living stones. So Peter says, as part of God's family, we are a cho- chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. But not only that, he says we're a holy nation. We're a holy nation. The word nation here is the word ethnos. Okay, Ethnos. It's where we get the word ethnic or ethnicity from. Ethnos in Greek. Okay, It simply means, it's really simple, it's a people. So this literally re- reads, we are a holy people. And what does holy mean? What does holy mean? We talked about this throughout You know, the duration even of this year, it comes up quite a bit. But just as a reminder, to be holy, it means to be separated, to be separate, to be set apart. And again, I'm certain here that Peter has the Old Testament in mind. We've already read this passage. Remember Exodus chapter 9, 19, verse 6? And what it said in regards to Israel? It says there, God said, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests which he just talked about, Roy Priesthood. And what else does he say? A holy nation. <laughs> okay? Say this to Israel. And we see, certainly see this designation in other places as well. That Israel was a holy nation. Very common. It was very common language, actually. To call God's people, under the old covenant, a holy nation. But again, we know that the Israelites, the nation of Israel, they forfeited that privilege. They gave up those rights. And so now God has a new people, which is followers of Jesus, the church. And Peter here gives then this designation to us. He says here, we are the new holy nation of God. We are God's set-apart people. And why has he set us apart? Why would he do that? What's the reason he set the Israelites apart? Same reason he sets us apart as his church, as his bride, because primarily he wants a relationship with us. Sometimes I don't know why, (laughs) but he does. See, we know what God has done. It's just inconceivable what he has done. He has chosen to bring sinners to himself. To take sinners out of darkness and bring them into the light. To take broken people, hopeless people, to bring them out of death and into life. God has done the inconceivable And so being a holy nation means that we are separated from sin, we are separated from from our enemy, Satan, and we are separated from the world, actually. Again, why? So that we can be with him. We are set apart. We are a sanctified people. And how did this happen? How do we become this holy nation? Again, because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Going back to chapter one, what did we see? It was like one of the first or second sermons of the series. How did this happen? Through the resurrection, it says Jesus made a way. That's how this is possible. And if we would just have faith in him, if we would just put our trust in him, we can belong to him, receive the new birth and become a part of this set apart holy nation that God is building on his son, Jesus Christ. This is who we are. This is our standing with God. What confidence does this give us? As exiles and sojourners, outcasts, we have a very strong identity, a secure identity in the Lord that we are with him and we are holy before him to what he says about you and me. And then finally, as God's people, as living stones, Peter says, number four, we are a people for his own possession. We are a people for his own possession. We see this in verse 9, and then actually Peter expands on this in verse 10. Okay, so you're going to skip over the back end of verse 9 with me. Okay, so look it up. Let's put it on the screen. This is what he says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Here we go. A people for his own possession. Pause, okay, because he gives like a side note here, which we'll talk about. Then he says verse 10 once you were not a people, he continues his thought, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter says here, it's, it's beautiful language, actually. Peter says here, we are God's unique possession. Literally, it means we are his delight. Uh, in the English language, Someone should tell me later, in, maybe in Korean or maybe your, your native tongue, what you would say. But in English, you'd say, we're the apple of his eye. That's what this is saying. The apple of his eye. And, and I think it's, it's likely, again, that Peter was thinking of that passages, passage in Exodus 19. We've already read verse 6 twice. But look what it says right before it in verse 5. Exodus 19, verse 5. It literally says, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. Okay? Again, this is for the Israelites. This is what he says of them. And now Peter takes that word, possession, treasured possession, redeems it, applies it to you and I. And let me just give you a little bit of context, a little bit of insight into the word possessed. Okay? To possess. It literally means to acquire, uh, to, to purchase. And I think you'll know where I'm going here. It actually means, literally it means, to purchase for a price. That's what it means. And what's true of the gospel, what we know is true of the gospel, is that we are God's own possession because he paid the price. He paid the price. And what was the price? What was the price? Look at Titus 2, verses 11 through 14 with me. This is so good. So good. Soak this up. Soak this up. Look at this. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed Hope, that's the second coming, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now listen, verse 14, underline it, highlight it, so good. It says, who, Jesus, who gave himself for us to do what? To redeem, that's purchase, to redeem us from on all lawlessness, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify, make us holy. See where we're going here? For himself, what? A people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so God the Father, through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, Through his blood, Peter said in chapter one, through the sprinkling of his blood, death on the cross acquired us, paid the price to purchase us, to buy us back. And so because of that, we belong to him. What could be more wonderful than that? Think about that. Try to wrap your mind around that today. We collectively, but you today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the personal, prized, treasured possession of the living God. That's what he thinks of you, that's how he sees you. We are his delight. We are his, and he is ours. We belong to Jesus. And there is nothing, no one, that can separate us from him and from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. So this is who we are as God's people, as living stones. And then Peter shifts here from telling us who we are and whose we are to laying out for us our, our simple and meaningful purpose. Again, you got you to remember the context. These are people who are ostracized, outcasts. Maybe they've lost family members through persecution. What's my purpose? What am I doing here? What am I? Who am I? What am I doing with my life? How am I going to make it through And then Peter says, God has made us a people living stones. Why? What's our purpose? What's our meaning? He says, so that, look, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, each of these, let's call them four characteristics or four privileges carry one big major responsibility and that is as these living stones the responsibility the purpose for making us or building us to be these people is this to go and reveal to go and reveal to a world that is lost in darkness the blazing glories of our great god That's the responsibility that you and I carry. And we are to do that with both our words and our actions, both word and deed. We are to proclaim God to the people around us. That's ultimately what we see in verse 11 and 12. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here because it gives us context for the next two or three sermons, but... This is what it says in verse 11 through 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, there we go with that language again, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which rage war on your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He says, ultimately what he's saying here, as living stones, as these people, Go out among the Gentiles. In other words, those who don't yet believe, those who are not following, those who are not a part of what God is building yet. He says, and speak to them about the excellencies of our Lord. Talk to people about his grace, about his mercy, about his power, his goodness, about his righteousness, on and on and on. So much more. He says, share with anyone who will listen what it means to be called out of darkness into his incredible, marvelous light. Share what it means to be called out of death into new life, new birth. Share with people around you how you have been brought into that marvelous light where there is fullness of love, joy, peace, forgiveness and goodness say to whoever will listen whoever you can catch the ear of say here's how you can know this God with me here's you how you can experience this God know this God here's how you can be set apart here's what Jesus has done for you here's the good news you feel broken, hopeless, depressed. You have no way. You're not, you're not finding fulfillment in your life. You've tried A, B, C, D, E. Nothing is satisfying you. Here's the way. Here's the way out of darkness. Here's the reality. Here's the truth. And again, again, proclaim this, not just with your words, but with your actions. That's the emphasis of verse 12. Peter says here, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. He's saying, in a sense, in a sense, think of it this way. He's saying, those outside of God's people, they're going to be watching you. And so what will they see? What will they conclude? So he says, keep your conduct honest. In other words, live what you believe. Because they're watching. They're observing you. They're seeing how you respond. All right, you, you, you go around and you say that the Bible is true. You believe Jesus. My hope is built on nothing else. But Jesus Christ His Righteousness right you sing that and then a pandemic hits everyone's stressed and so are you and so am i and they're watching it's a big presidential election every 30 minutes all of us everyone i've talked to at least is refreshing the button and seeing how many more 100,000 votes have come in overnight when we're all sleeping? And the world is watching. How do we respond? How are we responding? What are you posting? What are you reposting? They're watching. Are we responding and being set apart, people, which is who we are, holy above reproach? Or are we just following the way and the pattern of the world? they are watching. And here's the reality as well. Because look at what Peter says. He says, live what you believe. But look, when you do that, he says, even when you do that, people will still speak against you. He says, they're going to still speak evil against you. Why? Because they're in darkness. They don't want the light. They don't want the way of the light. They think what you do and what you believe is wrong. They disagree. So, what do we expect? What do we expect from people? The church has always been a persecuted, oppressed, ostracized people. Why do we expect any different? So, we live what we believe. We expect that people will hate us and disagree, come against us. Evil will be done to you. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, there will be others. Not the majority, but maybe a few who will see your life. Who will see the light in you. And they will be drawn into reality, drawn into the truth of who God is. And then perhaps, just maybe, they'll come to faith. They'll believe. And in that, the apostle Peter says, God will get glory. He'll get glory. Our mission as living stones built upon Jesus Christ is to proclaim The wonders of his name. To let our light shine before others so that they might see our good works and glorify God in heaven. God, he's doing it right now. God is building a new people for himself and for his purposes. And he is not done building. He's not done. The construction site is not done. He's not packing things up. And it's, it's perfected. Nope, not yet. It started with Jesus around 2,000 years ago. It's been going on ever since. He's building right now. Right now. God has been setting apart this new people for himself over the course of history. It's still happening. It's not done. And it will not be done until Jesus returns. So as living stones, church family, as living stones, let's not forget whose we are. Let's not forget whose we are and who we are, even in the midst of our exile and sojourn. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, set apart for his kingdom purposes. Why? To proclaim the greatness of God for his glory and the joy of the nations. Amen? Let's pray together.